Welcome to Industry Focus, the podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market each day. I'm your host, Emily Flippin. I'm Jason Moser. I'm Nick Seipel. I'm Dylan Lewis. And today we're talking financials. Today we're talking consumer goods. Wildcard Wednesday. And we're talking energy. And today we're talking tech. Let's dive in. It's Wednesday, September 16th. I'm your host, Jason Moser. On this week's Wildcard episode, we're jumping into an S1 in the healthcare space today. Going to take a closer look at Amwell. And here to guide us through the pros and the cons, the ups and the downs, the bulls and the bears, it's Mr. Brian Feraldi. Brian, how's everything going? Jason, I am well. How are you? <laughs> ah, very clever. Did, did, you, did you plan that, Brian? It's like I've been planning it all day, Jason. <laughs> that was good. I didn't see it coming, I have to admit. So, well played. <laughs> well, folks, as as um as I mentioned, we're going to be digging into a, a an up-and-coming IPO here in Amwell, formerly known as American Well. Uh but but Amwell is uh another player in this very popular in, in, in fast-growing telemedicine space. And so we're going to take a look at the S1 today and let Brian guide us through what the business does, how it makes its money, management, any competitive advantages, all that good stuff, so that when this thing does go public, you, our loyal and faithful listeners, will be fully ready to make a decision one way or the other. Uh, but Brian, let's go ahead and kick this off here. In regard to Amwell, first and foremost, give, give us a little bit um, on the history of the company and what it does. Yeah, I've been looking forward to this S1 for some time now. I myself am a Blue Cross Blue Shield uh, healthcare plan holder, and I don't have access to Teladoc, but I do have access. And in fact, I got a letter in the mail from them maybe two years ago about downloading Amwell so I could use that as my telehealth provider. So I was like, huh, uh-huh. there is a Teladoc competitor out there. And at its core, yes, Excellent. that's that's the basic of what it is. It's a It's the second leading provider of telehealth services, and they're essentially Teladoc's biggest rival. This is a company that was founded in 2006 by two brothers who are still running the show to this day. We'll get into them a little bit later. Um, they've been they've grown substantially uh, over the years, both organically primarily, but also with acquisitions. They are going to be coming public, and as of right now, they're looking to sell about 35 million shares, somewhere between 14 and 16 bucks. I'm sure that range is going to grow, especially given where IPOs have been going recently. And they hope to net about yeah. 650 uh, million dollars. Prior to this. They had raised about $500 million, including $200 million in May of this year. They needed to go and get an extra capital raise in there just to keep up with the extreme demand that they're seeing in response to COVID-19. No surprise to see that demand for this kind of thing has taken off in response. Yeah, it, I mean, it's no no question that that 2020 has been the year of uh, the digital economy, among other things. And I mean, whether you know you are in telemedicine or signing your documents digitally, or uh, you know developing an omnichannel retailer, it just business the the way business is being done has changed uh, so significantly in such a short period of time. And it does feel like um, a lot of these businesses, whether it's Teladoc Health or Amwell, I mean, they're not. Co- Coming into this this year, they're not coming into this stretch here, this pandemic economy, unprepared, right? I mean, they've been at it for a while, building these businesses. And, and Amwell certainly has already built up 
a very nice scale already with, with customers, with partners. I mean, I, I think I, I see here they, they have somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 health plans already. I mean, plenty of, of, of customers and, and plenty of room to grow there. But, but talk a little bit about uh, how, how they've grown the business to date and then what you're looking forward to in the coming uh, quarters and years. Yeah, so this is a company with scale. I mean, we're saying that they are the second biggest player in telehealth, and they have the numbers to kind of back that up. Uh, they have 2,000 hospital and healthcare systems that they're currently working with. Uh, the flagship one is the Cleveland Clinic, but they do have partnerships with over 150 of the nation's largest health systems are in their, are in their uh, ecosystem. They have 5,000 multidisciplinary providers that that offer coverage in 50 states, uh, and they have a total of 50,000 50, medical providers uh, in their entire uh, network. They have signed up 40,000 and growing employers, including the likes of some big names like uh, Philips, uh, Apple, uh, Cerner. And through the first six months of the year, they welcomed, to, they, they, they connected, uh, 2.9 million visits again for the first six months of the year. That was up substantially. And I always think it's good, helpful to have some comparisons here. So Amwell, 2.9 million visits through the first half of 2020. For comparison, last quarter, uh, Teladoc did 2.7 million visits. So on that scale, they're about half the size of Teladoc and, uh, that's pre uh, merging with uh, Livongo. So Teladoc's numbers are about <laughs> yeah. to go uh, much higher. But similar numbers on the membership side, on the clinician side, Teladoc just seems to offer more subspe- um, subspecialties. They offer about uh, 50, and, but they have d- similar uh, number of clinicians in their network. So comparable businesses, but Teladoc is doing about twice as many visits. Yeah, and you know, as, as I mean, as someone who's followed Teladoc since since they went public uh, back in 2015, you know, one of the things I've seen, we've all seen who, who follow the company, it's it's been an acquisitive company, right? I mean, Teladoc has made uh, some some acquisitions along the way, and then this merger with Livongo came around, and that really, it, I think, you know, that's beyond an acquisition. I mean, that's really kind of a merger of two equals. Um, do, do you feel like, I mean, that that gave them obviously a great head start. We talk about scale. Clearly, Amwell is in a good spot when it comes to that scale. Um, clearly, also Teladoc Health is is in a better spot uh, because they've been making those investments in that business, and, and, and Amwell has too. But do you suspect? Do you feel like this is a business that once they go public and they have some more access to to capital that way? Do, do you feel like that consolidation, more uh, acquisitions, would be part of the strategy for for Amwell also? I think that's definitely going to be part of the strategy. I mean, they Amwell has made two acquisitions already in its history. Uh, they acquired a company called Avizia in 2018. That was that bolstered them in the acute care market. Uh, last year, they they bought a company called Align Telehealth, which gave them a big presence in the telepsychiatry uh, market. That's a strategy that we've seen. Teladoc do over and over again. They've been extremely acquisitive with buying up to gain footholds in local uh, markets or to build out their product offering. If Amwell wants to truly compete head to head against the likes of a Teladoc um, and Livongo, they're going to have to continue. They're almost going to have to continue to make acquisitions in order to uh, remain competitive. Yeah, yeah, and I, I feel like I mean, I think I think you're right. I mean that. Obviously, going public, that's going to open them up to the opportunity at least to gain access to capital uh, to, to make deals like that. And, and so that's always been kind of one of those things I've kept in the back of my mind with Teladoc Hills. I mean, I, I understand why they're doing that. 
but but you know by the same token you can't dismiss the fact that every acquisition you make is a risk big or small um and they've made you know they've made a couple of of big ones before this Lavongo merger which is is ab- absolutely uh mammoth uh let's let's talk a little bit about the business model because i have a feeling these are very similar business models as well how does amwell make its money Yep. Very similar business model to Teladoc. So they get recurring subscription fees uh, from their from the companies that they sell to, as well as the health partner plans. They also have usage-based clinical fees. So whenever a meeting takes place on their network, they do collect some revenue from that. Interesting to note, they actually have another segment of their business where they get revenue from hardware and service fees, and they rely on revenue from innovator partners. And one of the partners that they call out is Apple. Uh, they are Apple has undergoing a four hundred thousand patient heart study, I believe, using their Apple Watch. And Amwell is their partner of choice on there. By being their partner of choice, they that does entitle them to some uh, some revenue share uh, from from Apple, and that's one of many partnerships that they have. Amwell has done a really good job about offering software development kits and APIs that actually integrate directly into other applications, uh, such as uh, electronic medical records systems. So if you're a clinician and you want to add and you're using whatever software you're using to run your practice, it's fairly easy to just add Amwell to that. So it's built right into your software. That's something that I like to see. They did say that that part of their business is pretty small, less than 10% of revenue, but they plan to grow that substantially. But the big takeaway for me here, Jason, is just like with Teladoc, they say that 84% of their revenue is recurring. Love to see that. Yeah, that that was that was the number that stood out to me. You just yeah, like you're right. You love to see that. I mean, that that recurring revenue, I mean, that's the beauty of that's that's really the beauty of that SaaS business model, right? That subscription and and it's so reliable. And and as an aside here, you know, I was I was going through um, a Gartner presentation here on Snowflake recently. Obviously, different company in the data space, but it was interesting to see how Snowflake is taking a bit of a different approach. They uh, they don't have that subscription dynamic as much right there's a bit more variability it's a consumption based business model i'm not sure i'm i'm all that fond of that it sounds like customers of of snowflakes don't like it either from a price predictability standpoint, but for a company like Amwell or a company like Teladoc, I mean, seeing that recurring revenue, that subscription revenue, I mean, customers like it, the company likes it, investors like it. That's that's really a good thing to see. Um, and and then the Apple, the Apple relationship there, I think is fascinating. And I I don't know if you got to catch any of that Apple event yesterday. It was. Um, obviously, sans any any phone news, so it was it was sort of lackluster from that perspective. But you could see at the beginning with the focus on the watch and stuff. I mean, Apple is they're making more and more. Uh, they're they're taking more steps to 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 play a bigger role in the healthcare space, which I just think is fascinating. It wouldn't be it wouldn't surprise me at all to see these telemedicine companies partnering up more and more with big tech. Um, as time goes on, and if I'm not if I'm not mistaken, am I right here? I think did uh, did Google note that they were going to make an investment in Amwell as it goes public as well? Yes, Google yeah. has committed to making a hundred million dollar 
investment in Amwell, which would actually make them a pretty decent sized shareholder. Uh, I forget the number. I think it's around the length of 5%. But as part of that, uh, as part of that deal, Amwell gets to use the name Google, like Google's an investor in us. <laughs> and it, it, and they're making a commitment to host all of their services on Google's cloud uh, platform. So it's really a nice partnership on both sides. And I like what you said before, Jason, about how Apple at the Apple event, they clearly want to make healthcare a big deal. And they know that getting building healthcare into their products widens their moat and is a massive opportunity. I really like that they picked Amwell as their partner um, to kind of get their heart watch, uh, their, their heart study uh, done. I wouldn't be surprised like you if they open that up to Teladoc down the road, but it is very interesting that they chose Amwell over Teladoc out of the gate. Yeah, yeah, and I mean, given given the, I you know, when I, I was thinking about that, and I, I guess I was thinking about it more from the Lavongo perspective, given Lavongo's focus on, uh, you know, chronic conditions. I mean, that 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 would be a massive, uh, pretty reliable uh, sort of test base, really. Um, so yeah, I, I think you probably you probably or you probably see them open open it up to to bigger audiences. I mean, that's. That's the whole idea, you know. The more data you get in regard to that stuff, the the, the better decisions you can make. Um, speaking of eighty four percent recurring revenue, how how what 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 do the revenue numbers for this company look like? I mean, you got Teladoc Health getting ready to knock. Uh, they're they're going to bring in one point two one point three billion dollars here next year, thanks to this acquisition, thanks to this merger. Uh, what do the revenue numbers look like for uh, for Amwell? Not clearly, not quite in that league yet, but trending in the right uh, direction. So this is a company. Let's go back to 2019. Uh, for the full year, the full year revenue was 149 million. That was up 30 percent. So that was kind of their pre-COVID uh, growth rate. COVID obviously caused their business to explode. I mean, they said they saw an a thousand percent increase in the number of visits on their platform. Uh, in April of this year, for example, they hosted 40,000 visits per day. April of the prior year, 2,900 visits per wow. day. So you're talking about more than a 10x increase in the number of visits. That's obviously done great things for their revenue. So in the first half, again, half of 2020, uh, revenue grew 77% to $122 million. What I found interesting is during that period, their net loss almost tripled to $113 million. Again, that's over a six-month period. But when you see that, clearly they were caught off guard by COVID-19 and they were not prepared for a 1,000% uptick in, in the demand for visits. Because of that huge uptick, they needed to tap the markets for cash. That's why we talked about the the $200 million investment that made before uh, and Interesting to me, not and not in a good way, was they lost $113 million again for the first half of the year. $113 million. But their cash burn was about half that, $58 million. This is a company that did $72 million in stock-based compensation uh, during a six-month period prior to coming IPO. So if you don't like stock-based compensation, boy, you're not going to like Amwell. <laughs> well, you know, I mean, I'm glad you mentioned that because that's it's it's something that's easy to kind of gloss over. I think for many, they they see that and they think, wow, it's it's not it's not money, it's not cash, so it doesn't really matter. And I mean, the fact of the matter is, it does matter, and it's something you need to keep in mind. And I mean, whether you're 
you know, a, a telemedicine company or, I mean, I, I, I always go back to Twitter. I mean, Twitter's the one where I look at it and think, you know what? I mean, when they came public and, and share-based compensation was just so extraordinarily high because the company was mismanaged. There was no really unified vision of what, of what they were trying to do thanks to just, you know, sort of a, a rotating uh, leadership positions there. But, but I you know, once Jack Dorsey came in and he made that one of his top priorities, you could see when they were, they brought that share-based compensation down from like 40% of revenue to you know 30 to 20 to 15 the market really did take note the market does care about that stuff and so it is certainly something to keep in mind i mean young businesses they're going to have to resort to that but that that certainly is something to keep an, an eye on as they as they mature um what do you with a business like this what kind of what kind of a competitive advantage do you feel like a business like this possesses today beyond beyond you know we we understand i mean it's it's a big player in that in that telemedicine space and really helping to to sort of dictate a new space there but what what are the other uh, competitive advantages a business like this holds Sure. Before we go to the competitive advantages, I want to throw out a couple other numbers on the financial side just to tee things up for, for our listeners. So uh, one thing that I noted that I took note of here was the gross margin. I always like looking at gross margin to see what kind of profitability could happen down the road. Sure. In the first half of the year, this company's gross margin fell from 48% to 36%. 36%. Ouch. That was a huge decline. Now, uh, a huge amount of that was because they had to ramp and invest so heavily into the platform and they took on a whole bunch of fees to kind of meet that 10x growth in demand. But 36% gross margin, while it's probably depressed right now, for comparison, Teladoc over this last quarter, 62% gross margin. That was also down substantially over the prior quarter, but that's just on a different planet in terms of profitability uh, between the two. On the flip side, you could say, well, similar businesses, it's possible that as Amwell continues to grow, it could get its gross margin up into Teladoc range. And boy, would that be great to see. But that is something that I was actually really surprised at uh, when I was going through this. And then the balance sheet post-IPO, once this company comes public, they're going to have a very nice balance sheet. They plan on plan on converting a lot of their convertible debt uh, into shares. And the estimates are about $830 million in cash and no debt. So they're going to have a really clean uh, layout. But let's talk about the competitive advantages here. I see, I definitely see a couple. Uh, the first would be uh, switching costs. Once a health plan, a company, a uh, provider gets at, at, gets Amwell into their EHR system, gets used to their SDK and gets that up and running, hard to switch. Hard to train, hard to hard to get re, hard to train your patients, hard to get a whole nother app uh, downloaded. So I think there are some switching of costs, and I also think there are some network effects here at play. Where the more providers you have, the more the more service you can offer to customers, the more products you can offer, and the more customers come to your platform, and that can go back and forth. Now, it's not the strongest network effect by any stretch because, again, they are competing against Teladoc, which is which does twice as many visits. But I do think they have a competitive advantage uh, over potential upstarts. But make no mistake, they do not have this market to themselves. Yeah, well, and that's that's the nice part about it is, I mean, it's it is a it is a massive market, and and I mean, I you know, speaking to that, I mean, in looking at some of these notes here in regard to the market size, the the opportunities there for subscription revenue. Talk a little bit about that market opportunity and the potential you see for this business in the coming years. Yeah, it's huge. 
It's huge and growing fast. I mean, they throw out some numbers that are in the billions of dollar uh, range. If you use just, just the U.S. and the number of lives that can be enrolled, there's also plenty of opportunities to expand these numbers over time uh, due to uh, more reimbursement uh, reach, more access through government plans such as Medicare, uh, M- Medicaid. Uh, they also have clear plans to get into international markets the same way we've seen Teladoc do. The company's also made said that we plan on making acquisitions to bolster on uh, new products. So the company has tremendous amount of room to grow, and I think the entire category will grow. Yeah, yeah, I, I do agree with that. I think you're right there. Um, let's let's take a look at, at management and the culture of the company. Obviously, that's something we care about um, here at The Fool uh, for, for a number of reasons. And um, while... You know, while we don't look at co-founders owning the business as a reason to invest, it's certainly nice to see, and it doesn't hurt the cause. It's 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 we always love to see owners and founders uh, with, with ownership stakes in the business there. And and you know I, I while I'm sure many saw that Teladoc and Livongo merger, they think wow that's too big of a deal. They're skeptical, and there's you know a lot a lot of challenges to overcome. One of the things that they noted the two the two leadership teams together was that the cultures meshed together very well. They they were apparently very similar cultures. And, and I wonder, um, how does the culture strike you with Amwell? How does management strike you? Because they have, um, they have a co-founder there with a pretty, pretty uh, heavy ownership stake as well. Yeah. So this is a company that, again, was co-founded by two, two brothers, uh, Ido Schonenberg and Roy Schonenberg uh, in 2006. Both of them, prior to founding this business together, uh, were entrepreneurs and were executives at uh, several companies in the uh, healthcare space. So these are two accomplished, uh, accomplished gentlemen. Uh, Ido is the, currently the co-founder and chairman and co-CEO. So they are both splitting the CEO role. Uh, Roy is the co-founder and president slash CEO. So they kind of control the chairman, the president, and the CEO role together. Of note to me is that each of them owns 25% of this business each. So wow. the two the two of them own collectively still 50% of this business. Given the size and the scale and the acquisitions that this company has go through to get to where it is today, uh, that's impressive. That's a lot of skin in the game. Yeah, that really is. And you know what that'll what that'll end up um you know ha- what'll end up happening from that is you know, the the company'll go public. That'll clearly play out on on the float, the shares that are actually traded on the open market there. And and uh, you know over time that float can grow um as as lockups expire and and shares are issued to to do deals and whatnot. But it's always worth I think noting for investors that when you have that type of heavy ownership from from founders, you know that that can play out on a lower float lower float can ultimately that affects liquidity that can result in some some volatility for lack of a better word i mean it it's not necessarily you know a knock on the business whatsoever but it's just a reminder for for interested investors and, and potential shareholders that you know companies with low floats like that you can see some pretty big moves just because the liquidity is not quite the same as some of these bigger companies that are out there um again that not a knock on the business not really anything other than just something to note uh Perhaps it would fit as a risk. And speaking of risks, let's talk about some of them because we're making a leap of faith every time we invest, Brian. And, and this time is no different. This is a leap of faith. But I don't know if from everything you're saying, this seems like it would be a pretty reasonable leap of faith. But what should investors be watching out for? What would hold you back from taking that leap? 
Yeah, a couple things I, I think were worth noting here. I mean, overall, this is an interesting business. If you like Teladoc, there are reasons to like Amwell uh, as well. If for no other reason, then I don't think it's a winner-take-all market. I think that there are room for multiple winners or especially two kind of uh, industry giants. And the entire category is growing uh, uh, very rapidly. So there's a lot to like here. I, I also really like the the fact that this company is still run by its co-founders who own such a large chunk. So that's definitely a big plus uh, in uh, Amwell's uh, camp. However, a uh, few uh, few things I did note, uh, Anthem is their largest customer and accounted for 22% of revenue uh, last, uh, last over the six months through the first six months of the year. That's a lot of revenue concentration in one customer. On the flip side, it is worth knowing that Anthem owns 3% of Amwell. So they are a shareholder of Amwell. So that should give you some confidence that that 23% of revenue uh, is pretty secure. And their top 10 customers accounted for 44 percent of revenue. You do the rest of the math out there. And so that's nine other customers that account for 22% combined. So customer concentrate is, is more of a footnote here. I wouldn't freak out about it. It is something that I think is worth noting though. Uh, the big The big thing to note here is Again, Amwell does not have this market to itself. Uh, there's Teladoc that they call out as the competitor, number one by far. There's also MD Live. There's also Doctor on Demand. There's lots of small companies that are trying to do exactly what they're doing. I think a big part of the strategy has to be, as we talked about previously, Jason, making acquisitions. And you really have to trust that the management team is going to not overpay and integrate those things well. That is a risk to keep in mind because that is absolutely a part of the growth story here. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I think there's there's no question there. I mean, and, 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 you know, frankly, I think that's that's probably that's probably okay. I mean, I, I I think we've all been expecting consolidation in this space, and that's only natural. Um, again, I mean, with Amwell, its status in the market today, the fact that it's getting out there into the public markets now, that'll open up, I think, a lot of opportunities for it. Um, in in maybe maybe the biggest risk in the near term, and you've you've even noted this here. It's you know, likely it's going to garner a high valuation given the enthusiasm for IPOs. We haven't seen very many compelling ones uh, recently. And, I, you know, going back to Snowflake, I think we're going to see the same thing happen here. But Snowflake, I would be surprised if we didn't see the same thing happen uh, with, with Amwell. And, 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 you know, in the near term, valuation, probably one of the greater risks. But, you know, healthcare is just a big market. It's a reliable market. It's it's just everybody needs it. So you really do have to you have to like that big picture opportunity. So I, I guess the question for me is interesting business, yes. Is this one that you feel like is this one you feel like compelled to go buy immediately? Is this one you feel like you want to follow and keep on the radar? I mean, there's gonna be some enthusiasm when it when it does hit the market. Where do you stand? Yeah, this is going to be a radar stock uh, for me. I mean, I am not a Teladoc Health shareholder personally, and a big reason why is I just wasn't comfortable with the growth by acquisition strategy. Teladoc has clearly proven that they've done that well, but the Lavongo transaction just takes things to a whole new level <laughs> in terms of size and scale. And I don't think it's a slam dunk that that uh, transaction is going to pay off. Uh, we'll see. With 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 Amwell. I do like the management team. I do like the culture. I like the opportunity. Um, I'm most concerned about the low gross margin. I mean, why is it so much lower than, than Teladoc? If they can show me that that was a one-time blip to kind of deal with COVID and they can get that number significantly higher in time, boy, could that be exciting. 
The stock-based compensation, I mean, that's something that I always look at, but here, it's extreme. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind that this is going to ramp up post them coming public. So that is something that uh, I, I, I'm not comfortable with. So between the growth by acquisition strategy, the fact that they're the number two player uh, and the, they have such high stock-based compensation, not to mention they're still nowhere close to flipping to profitability. This is going to be a radar stock for me that I'm going to follow with interest, but I'm not going to be buying it anytime soon. But I want to know what Jason Moser thinks of this because he is <laughs> Mr. Teladoc. <laughs> Well, I listen. I, I I'm I'm with you here. I mean, like I I feel like if this was five years ago, it, you know, it, it probably it's definitely not garnering the same valuation when it goes public. And it, it to me, it is more interesting just from that perspective. I mean, that's what captured my attention with Teladoc Health was what the business does with you know experiences that I had in in internet medicine, you know, from from a time ago when we were living overseas. So that's that's where the opportunity, that's why I was excited about it. So I, I, I'm with you. I mean, I think there are enough reasons here that, that warrant keeping this close on, on the watch list there, but there are also enough reasons. That I, I, when it comes to IPOs, I don't like jumping into them immediately. I mean, every time I do, I, t- I tend to look back and say, dang it, you know, I wish I didn't. And so, you know, lesson learned in, in probably five years from now, I'll, I'll break that rule again. Um, I don't think I'm going to break it this time around, but I, I, I really do like the market opportunity. Um, I like I like that inside ownership there. I mean, clearly these these guys believe in this business and they've done a great job building something up. I wonder on the gross margin side. I know that with Teledoc Health, they witnessed some of that gross margin pressure as they built out more of the mental health offerings um, side of that business. That's just is by by nature a lower a lower margin offering. And so as they've grown, you know that that mental health uh, offering that that's you know, impacted margins a little bit. I wonder if there's something in play with Amwell that's that's similar. But um, I, you know, I reckon we'll find out. I mean, any any ideas when this is uh, any ideas when this is going to go public? I didn't see the date. I would imagine the next week or two, given how when S ones get filed. But no, I didn't see the date on there. And I like to think that Amwell, Jason, once they come public, they could their long term aspiration should be to make it into Jason Moser's healthcare and wealthcare <laughs> basket. <laughs> Well, you know, I published a special report for the next gen supercycle service, the war on cash part duh, right? The, if I was going to build another war on cash basket, I had three stocks that I thought they would be worthy considerations. And if I was going to build another healthcare basket, a healthcare part duh, there's no question that Amwell would be on the short list for consideration. So I'm excited to watch them go public. I'm excited to see how the business does. I was really excited to be able to do this show with you today and learn more about the company. Thanks so much for digging into the S1 and giving all of our listeners such great information. Anytime. Love talking healthcare and tech at the same time, Jason. Yes, sir. That's going to do it for us this week, folks. Remember, you can always reach out to us on Twitter at MF Industry Focus. You can drop us an email at industryfocus at fool.com. You have any strong feelings on the Amwell IPO or any other IPOs coming up? Hey, drop us a line and let us know. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Thanks, as always, to Tim Sparks for keeping us in the fairway here on this show. For Brian Feraldi, I'm Jason Moser. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week. 